Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, I'd like to welcome everybody to today's Friday's interview. Um, I have the privilege of speaking to my friend, Heather Ritchie. So Heather and I, we had our young families living in Albany um, about 20, I don't know, 22 years ago, something like that. And Heather and Sam um, lived there and they were in our ward and we just enjoyed our conversations with them. Sam was actually our dentist. And, um, we, Heather and I just stayed in contact over the years. And the other day I was just out in the bungalow working out, lifting weights. And Heather's name came to my mind to ask her if she would do a podcast interview. And she said, yes. So Heather has a really fascinating life and she's done a lot of incredible things. And one of the neat things that that's coming up for her that she just shared with me is that she is Miss USA universe and she's going to be competing in Miss Universe, right, Heather? Yes, yes. The Mrs. Uni- the Mrs. Mrs. USA. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yes. in April. So she has a big platform, and I want you all to hear more about Heather. So, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Heather, I want you to start because I do remember we talked a little like when we were younger with our kids, it was busy, but any conversations, it was always fascinating to hear you talk about growing up. So can you tell everybody a little bit about your family, about your parents, about where you grew up and a little bit about your life? I sure can. So Um, basically I am one of 12 children. I am the fifth. So that just kind of means that I was, I don't know, they say the middle child sometimes is a little bit rebellious, but I wasn't, you know, I was just, I think that we like to push boundaries sometimes, but anyway, I had a great family. I had, you know, in any family, no family is perfect, but we had fun. We did a lot of things differently and very uniquely. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I look at the good that outweighs the bad, but there are always going to be things that we learn that we have to heal. So basically I was born in Canada. I lived um, there until I believe I was about two and a half or three, we moved around a lot. So, um, the, now why were you up in Canada, Heather? Why did your parents live up there? So they, my ancestors crossed the plains and settled in Utah and then some went up there to Canada. So that's why my parents were both born in Canada, but my, my grandparents were born in the USA. Okay. So they had like been born in covered wagons, my grandparents. But um, so my parents were from Canada um, and they met at college at Ricks or BYU. And anyway, my my family would move a lot and sometimes it was several times a year. And there was a time where we moved to, my mother had bronchial problems and so pneumonia and asthma. So they, my dad moved them to Utah, but they didn't have the papers to stay. So he decided to move us to Oaxaca, Mexico, which is about as far down as you can go if you look at it on the map. So we were very out in the open, very secluded. And I saw My mother was a registered nurse. So I saw somebody who was very confident, very well-equipped and intelligent become somebody I didn't know. Um, She had to cook over an open fire for her children. There were times that we were very hungry and we didn't have the resources that we needed. Um, We ate grasshoppers. and, and it wasn't very often. I think it happened once that we ate grasshoppers, but I do remember I was my mother's 
um, interpreter when we would go to the market and we would have, I just remember she would have coupons and I would translate for her and tell her what the people were saying. And um, how we did had you long, know how to speak Spanish? I just, I don't know. I just, I was three, I was three years old and I could just tell her what they were saying. I, I don't know. I just understood it. And so I could tell the storekeeper and I could tell my mother what, what each of them were saying so that she could understand. And then, um, like and so we, there were, were there like six of you at the time, six kids of were, the 12, there were seven, seven when we lived there. And then my mother was pregnant with number eight there. Okay. And we lived in a tent in, it was a, <laughs> we, I guess we made some makeshift tents as, but we had one that was, it was like, you can put it on the back of our station wagon where it would pops out. And so it's a t like a tent trailer. So that's what we lived in for about a year and a half. And we, I just remember there was a time we got hepatitis in the family. My parents got it. A brother got it. A lot of us didn't, but I don't know how we didn't get little bits of it or something because I just remember the, everybody laying out on the ground sick and throwing up. My mother ended up telling me years later that she was pregnant and it hurt so bad. Um, but she knew she couldn't get her family out of there I don't understand all of the reasons for my dad not working. And I'm, I'm going to just say that my mother went and worked as a registered nurse at the hospital so that she could deliver her baby in the hospital. But then she ended up bringing him home to the tent. And my mother would work so that she could save up enough money for us to get back to the States. Um, it was Christmas. I remember we were crossing the border, trying to cross the border and we hit a, a rock in the road. And so we had to stay in a hotel room for that night. But I remember the stark difference in the sheets that were white and the walls that were white and us jumping on this bed and Christmas morning, we came out and there were toys and our parents had gone out and gotten things. So that was a very um, humble Christmas for us, but lots of experiences like that happened in our, in my childhood and kind of like redneck, you know, just out, um, out of the ordinary experiences, lots of moving, lots of moving. And my dad was not in the military. He was just, I guess he had ants in his pants or very adventurous and other things I'm sure. But, um, Overall, I am thankful for the family I grew up in. And I just know, you know, there are always things that we can learn in, in life. Well, you know, there's the, my sister-in-law, she was here this weekend for Gannon's ordination. And one thing she said out loud that I really agree with is, you know, we have two opportunities in a family. When we come to this earth, it's the family we're born into and the family we create. And so we learn so much in those two different situations, you know? Mm -hmm. um, okay. I want to ask you when you came back to the States, where did you guys move to? We moved to Texas. So we lived, I know San Juanito and Harlingen, Texas. We lived, it was across the border and we moved several places during that time. Um, but then we moved to Arizona and Lehigh, Arizona was our, actually, it, I believe it was probably why I write music because my piano teacher was the pianist and he had a piano in the room and, we, and um, I had great teachers that would put me with friends. And so that kind of shaped my life. I was in a very good school, very good teachers, very good church area. And then we moved again. We moved to Missouri for my dad to go to chiropractic college. Um, but we're all 12 children. Uh, he, he, did, uh, did your mom have all the 12 kids by that point when you moved to Missouri? 
So my mom had 10 and adopted two. She had adopted a little girl eight months before I was born. So that little girl came to Mexico with us. Um, Anyway, and we have, so 12 altogether, we had, let's see, I believe two in Texas. And then um, when we were in Arizona, we didn't have any more. And then in Missouri, when my dad went to school, my mom had one more. So, um, and then we adopted a boy when we moved back to Arizona, who was 14. So, wow. Yeah. So how, how long did you stay in Missouri? We were there, I think five years. That was probably the longest we were in one spot. What did you think of Missouri? How old were you? What, what age were you at that time? I was, I, I was eight when we moved there and I think 13, 12 or 13 when we left something like that. Maybe I was 15. It was, it was the longest place because of my dad going to school. So, but they kept moving after that. Did he get his chiropractic um, certification? He, I, I, some of that, I'm not sure about, okay. I don't know the details on that. So okay. That's, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you moved back to Arizona. Did you move back to the same area that you lived previously? No, they moved to a place called Camp Birdie. So, oh, okay, wait a minute. They moved to Mesa when I was in high school. And I went to Mesa High and I loved it. That was my that was my school. That's where my best friend Heather Green lives. Anyway, I just love that. I love Mesa so much. Then they moved to Missouri again um, for different reasons. And a couple places in Missouri. And then when I was going to college, they moved to Camp Verde, Arizona, and they stayed there until a few years ago, they bought a house in Rexburg. Oh, they did. So, yeah. Okay. So when you finished high school, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? I knew that I wanted to be a mom. That's what I thought. I just, I kind of grew up with that mindset. I was an artist. So I did go into college, um, as into art sciences and I graduated in that. Um, I didn't think I was that talented with art to pursue it further, but I, you know, I'm a, I became a singer songwriter. So what happened, I was, I wrote little songs when I was a little kid and then when I was 16, I wrote a song that my sister would sing because I would play it. And then it got recorded by my sister-in-law when we were at college and uh, my sister had sung it for a home evening thing. So anyway, the, the guy in the studio asked if I would, he said, well, who wrote the song? And I said, well, I did. And he said, then you sing it. So I was scared to death, but there was glass between us and for some reason I sang it and it went on a tape. And so when I let people hear it, they, they wanted me to perform. And I. Okay. So Heather, when you finished high school and you went off to college, um, let's talk about dating and meeting Sam. So how did that all go? What was your dating life? Like give some details. Okay. So I was dating somebody else but we had just broken up and I went to a dance during mother's week. And, um, my mom was in town that weekend. Anyway, I danced with him with Sam on a fast song. I used to go over to his brother's apartment, actually not his brother's apartment to a group of girls apartment called the Dollhouse, And his brother was there. And so, and his brother was quite the happening man. Um, nice guy anyway, but I would tell him like, I'm so tired of these RMs, um, these guys. Anyway, he asked, he told Sam at the dance to ask me to dance. So Sam asked me on a fast dance. And, um, anyway, I think it was the night after that, there was a fireside 
this talk with Mary Ellen Edmonds in the Heart Building. And anyway, I sat next to my mom and my friend and my sister and my friend sat next to Alan and Sam. So I'm down there without, you know, I couldn't even hardly get my eye that way just because I was playing hard to get anyway. But I really liked Sam. So after I went up to tell the speaker, I really liked her and Sam came up. And so he shook my hand and he winked at me. And um, it was, it's kind of been history since then. Cause it was, there was just, I could feel the, you know, the attraction. And then we went horseback riding. Um, our, I guess the first date was miniature golfing and um, miniature golfing and Mill Hollow frozen yogurt. And then the second date was horseback riding and it was on his farm. Their, their ranch, they had over a thousand acres up in Ashton, Idaho. And I had to ride behind him and hold on to him. And it was just, you know, perfect. You know, I, I tried to kind of ease up so he didn't feel like I was totally all over him, even though I, I really liked him. And um, let's see, I'm just trying to think of, I, I found out that I was, when he was, he asked me on the first date, he had asked another girl first and she couldn't go. So his brother again said, why don't you ask Heather? And so he did anyway. So I, I have, I owe Alan, um, for it, but yeah, we, <laughs> what, what year was that? What year was it? Um, early nineties. Um, it was 90. I think it was yeah, it was 90 because we got married in 91. Okay. So we we wrote over the summer. So we went on two dates, wrote over the summer. And like in between our dates, this um, kind of possessive boyfriend of mine kept coming around, writing, leaving notes and teddy bears and everything on my door. And, and he was a really nice guy. But anyway, Sam had my heart. And so... I went home for the summer. I did have a missionary come home during that time that I had broken up with. And so anyway, I got proposed to by that missionary kind of, he just said, I think we could get married in September. And I just, I prayed about it and I feel you're the one. And I was like sick. <laughs> I didn't feel it. And I told him that I had met somebody. So anyway, I had asked that guy not to come up and see me, which was totally hard because he did come up and see me first. And then he, he was making plans. And I just learned, you have to have your own best interest? And so anyway, I wrote Sam and, um, Were you, was, was your a, family in Arizona at this point? Were they back in, in Arizona? Camp, yes. In Camp Verde. Okay. So I, I went there for the summer and I worked two jobs. I think it was like eight to eight to two and five to close. And I was just trying to, I was trying to earn money actually to go to study abroad to Israel. Um, then I realized I probably didn't have the funding at that time. I was just going to go back to school. And so Sam and I um, started dating once I got back. And like, it was December, we were engaged. And then, um, yeah, I, his roommate had asked for my number, which was kind of a funny thing. So I gave his roommate my, it was a guy who just like approached me on campus and said, Hey, can I, Hey, can I have your number? And I'm like, okay. And so that kind of shifted where Sam knew that he needed to make it um, official, more, more official. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that I wasn't open <laughs> to dating other people. <laughs> so that was just fun. It was, it was a funny in, incident where that happened, but we had a great time. You know, we, he asked me to marry him. Um, it was at temple square. Then he asked me, um, if we could get married in, he, he had first initially asked if I would be, a let's see, April shower, Mayflower or December snowflake. And I'm like, 
what are you getting at? And anyway, we got married May 10th and let's see, we have eight kids. Like we had four and then I waited just for sanity and health reasons. And then there was a, I, we had a little boy, um, our fifth child. And then I had cadence our sixth. And I said, you know, I would, I thought that maybe I could get to six. And so when, once we had her every, I was just, I didn't know why I had this weird feeling, but um, I had had some dreams that something might happen with the sixth child. I, I didn't know if it was me or the child in the, with the dreams that I had or, and premonitions. So I didn't leave her um, more than like three or four times. Like she was, and so anyway, I don't know if you know this story, but I found her in her crib and she had passed away. It was, she was four and a half months old. It was December 16th. Yeah, so hard. I remember um, the morning that I, I was nursing her and I just remember this light coming in my room. I'm actually sitting in the chair that I, right now that I held her in, but um, I just remember this beautiful light over her and I would just, I used to kiss her cheeks over and over and then felt her wet slobbery kisses on my face. And um, anyway, that was, I put her down for her nap and she had, um, she had rolled herself in bedding, but with the autopsy, they just said that there was no asphyxiation. I mean, they did a thorough um, evaluation and I kept calling the, the um, examiner saying, are you sure? Was there anything that you know, as a mom, you always go and get those children out of bed. And so that was just like, how did that even happen? I, my kids were coming home from school. I was going to have my daughter get her out. And I just, cause I was going to make Christmas card pictures. Anyway, I just decided to go get her. And I, I seriously could not believe it. I could not believe that that's, that that was how I found her. And so I, as I picked her up, I could tell she was already stiff, not, not fully, but I um, called for my daughter to call 911 and I what, gave her CPR and I couldn't um, revive her, but the, the paramedics came, um, then my son came home. So all my kids are coming home from school at this time and there's ambulances and um, fire trucks. And, um, my son had to go to the neighbors to call Sam to have him come home. So anyway, it was just, I remember gathering in our bedroom, this room that I'm in right now. And we all held her one last time. They, they said they couldn't help her anymore, that that was all they could do. Sorry. And I just like, I, I think that sometimes in life, you know, what we want so bad is just not God's will. And I, I thought it was my fault. I just thought, okay, maybe if I had given her less time to sleep, if I had gotten her out, I was actually doing baby wise at the time. So I timed it. I was, had my watch on and I was upstairs cleaning, but I looked at the, when it, got to the hour, I went to the door and listened. I didn't hear anything. So anyway, it was just such a heartbreaking experience. And so we buried her on December 20th. Um, I mean, picking out a plot for your child was just like, you're just anyway, kind of like not it's an out-of-body experience pretty much and um but I knew like it was like I felt her with us so much and um yeah I just I couldn't believe that that had happened I had written songs for other people who had lost their children or loved ones and so I was and I would perform at funerals 
I was asked to perform for um, infants before that. And I was just mad. Like I was so mad that that happened to me, that, that I had to learn what this felt like. And, um, but I ended up, I tried to get a hold of friends who were singer songwriters or performers for the funeral and no one it was well it was a very very icy storm of a day and so no one was able to come so I that morning I just felt she wanted me to sing so so I sang and I don't I still don't know how I did it you know but um after that I just um, the one thing that got me through that was, <laughs> was Mrs. Utah doing, um, I, I tried to talk my friends into doing it. And, and, um, then I, as I was explaining to them, I'm like, yeah, you have to get up in a swimsuit on stage. And anyway, I just realized, okay, I can't stay in bed like this for my family. So I, and my mom was sick at this time. My mom had leukemia. And so I, um, I knew that if I was forced to get in a swimsuit on stage, that I couldn't stay in bed. I had to get up and exercise. So it was what saved me at that time. Um, then my mom passed away nine weeks after we lost cadence. And so like, it was just like this double, <laughs> double hard year for us. Um, so Heather, what... Yeah. What did this experience, what were things that you didn't anticipate you would feel? Um, cause I know, you know, when we, when I had, um, our baby stillborn, he had no kidneys. Um, there were things that I didn't even realize I would feel as a human being and, you know, bear having to bury him and then walking around and realizing I had lost this baby, but nobody knew. And I had all these emotions inside of me and I was just trying to make sense of life, you know? So what were some things yeah. that you can share with others that might be struggling with loss, you know, that could help them? Yeah. Like, what were some things that you can recall from Cadence's life and also her returning to heavenly father that was helpful for you? Well, I'm sorry that you had that experience too. Um, what I learned, so I had, what happened to me may be unique, but I know that we always wonder what we could have done. What could I have done to prevent that? And was there something that I could have done better? And I think that we second guess our abilities. I believe that God knew he showed me in dreams before he knew that there would be that loss. And I believe we have to trust when he shows us things. And when people go, we, one thing Kevin says is that we all will have regrets. We all want to fix it life. And and the only regret I have is that I didn't keep holding her, that I never put her down. You know, I would have never put her down if I had known this was going to happen because the pain was so great. But I remember I, I didn't trust myself enough to get pregnant again because it, I just wanted to make sure I was stable. And anyway, I would ask women if I could hold their babies, that helped me. Um, but I, but the, I guess it's just honoring ourselves that we would have nothing to do with that. Like there's no part in us that would want to lose, lose those children. And so I don't know, it's just the blame, letting yourself know that there is no blame there that God, he didn't blame us. And we hadn't done anything wrong. It was, you know, there were different things going on in our, in our marriage and family to the point. It was just, you know, when you have a lot of kids, 
you don't always get along. And there was, we had the steak night of music and I was supposed to, our family was supposed to sing. It was Sunday night. So she passed away on Tuesday. So I was going to go, I was going to take her. And anyway, I didn't, but I regretted it. I wanted to go back home and get her. And I kept trying to get Sam to bring the kids and we just weren't getting along very well. And so I sang it by myself and I just remember like that was just after she died two days later, I had wished she had been part of that. And, but now when we perform, we perform that song together as a family. And sometimes I do it by myself, but it's just that memory that we are all together, that the little things really don't matter. And what is important you know, is not the differences. What's important is just to care. And not everybody's going to see things the same way we were raised differently. But even though we were raised very similar, he was raised by a farm (laughs) farmer, you know, you had to get the job done. And I, I just am more, okay, just love the kids, you know, (laughs) make sure you listen to them. And he's like, we don't have time to listen to them. We got to get the <laughs> job done. They're going to whine forever, you know? And so we just had, he's a, he's a real softy, but since Cadence passed away, like, I don't know if the roles have reversed a little bit, but we had two children after her. Um, I finally went ahead when I realized I had nothing to do with her passing and I would have done everything, anything to keep her here. And so I went ahead and got pregnant and I had a little boy and he is the sweetest. He's 11 now, but just so affectionate. Like he'll, he'll type in my phone on Google search. You are beautiful. Just so that I, when I go to my phone, I find it. And, um, just the kindest boy in the world, like so sweet. Now he and his, so we had a little girl after him named Haven. And so Cardston and Haven are my last two. So that makes eight. And, you know, had we not lost cadence, I would have been fine to be done. I actually had gone in and gotten an IED so that I could just relax and be a mom. But, um, Anyway, they are a little spoiled rotten. They <laughs> how how old is um how old is Haven? Is she eight? She's nine. Nine. She's nine. Yep. And Crystal is 29. So we have this big spread. <laughs> um, so when I think Haven was six years old, she was Aunt Haven because Crystal was married and had her kids or had um Weston a year after they got married. But anyway, Haven was a an aunt really young and Cardston was a little uncle. Okay. So what has mother, what has motherhood taught you? You know, okay. I guess one last thing about cadence is I saw that you can lose everything in five seconds. And what really matters are those you love and what is in your heart. And so I, saw the value of a child. She was four months old. She she could only smile and she could only like give that love or be loved. Like she couldn't do anything for herself except cry, you know, but her sweet little spirit taught us so much. There's just, and, and I also learned in loss, there's such a pureness that God comes in and fills those gaps with comfort when, I mean, the pain is so deep. And I remember praying, being on my knees, yelling at him, you know, why did you take our child? And anyway, it was just like, I just learned, he loves us no matter what. He loves us when we're yelling at him or when we're, you know, just struggling with the, with the concept but um, there's so much grace there for all of us. And that's, that's a big thing I learned. And not, okay, so what I've learned in motherhood is um, that we're a whole lot more capable than we think. <laughs> and to just, 
I guess I had a really wise friend once say, just enjoy them, just enjoy it. Um, and so that's what I try to do. I'm just, you know, that there's always going to be dishes to do and laundry to do. And that was what I was doing when she passed away. And so it was not that I could have prevented that. And it wasn't that I shouldn't have been doing the dishes or the laundry, but I have learned that scrubbing the tile with the toothbrush <laughs> and being like a control freak is not the ultimate homemaker. You know, I think I've learned to sit down and stop when my kids say, mom, can you come and look at this? Can you help me with this math problem? Um, then that's, you know, it's just okay. Not, not all the time does my kitchen get cleaned up like it used to, and it's okay. And, um, enjoy the moments because, you know, the perfection is a myth. That's it. And every day changes and it's good to have order. But, um, that was one thing I, one time I went to a counselor before I had my last two. And I just said, I, I need a clean home and a, and a well-kept yard. And he said, do you, do you, he's like, maybe God put you here so that you can have a little bit of chaos. And I'm like, uh, anyway, I remember in the shower, I looked at my shampoo bottle and it said control freak. And I just <laughs> laughed. I was like, okay, I just, I guess I have to relax here, but you want to just be you know, especially after losing a child, you want everything perfect, or you want to feel like you measure up and you do measure up and God sees that. And, oh, I need to share this real quick. I remember putting my son down the night we got home from the hospital and now this is, you're not talking about Karsten, right? You're not talking about Karsten. I am talking about Karsten. Okay. Yeah. I, I just was so worried because I was afraid he wasn't going to breathe. You know, I just, so I was sitting up listening for him and Sam said, Heather, you need to come to bed. And I just started crying. I said, I can't. And we had three monitors, one on his foot, you know, one in the other room, one in here and just everything to make sure that he was going to breathe and be okay. And I remember I got down on my knees, said a prayer, and I went to sleep. And my mom came to me, and she I saw her standing over the crib, looking down at my baby, watching over him. And after that, I didn't worry. Like after him, I didn't worry. After when I was pregnant with Haven, it all came back again. I was afraid again because it was a girl. And so you know, I would wake up not breathing because I would have anxiety, anxiety attacks during the night, you know, but I worked through that. And um, I think that we are able to cope through hard things, especially if, if there's a will, there's a way. And if God has a plan, then we trust him. And is it going to be easy? No, it, it isn't. It's been, you know, challenging at times in life. But I think that um, one of the biggest gifts I get from motherhood is that that um, unconditional love from these kids. I think that we we do so much better in life when we are able to give give life. Um, when I was at the United Nations in New York, I was asked to speak on that panel on protecting children from sexual abuse. And I went as an ambassador and I remember I was in one of the classes, one of the forums, and they, they said, who, who would like to stand up and, and tell their, you know, about themselves. So I stood up and I had the mic and I just said, I'm a mother of eight kids and Anyway, I just remember at that time, it was just shocking to them to see a woman in a business suit who came across the country, who was there to, to represent, you know, womanhood and motherhood and 
the values of our country. Anyway, I just, I learned that just because we have children does not mean it, it stops us from things. And actually, I believe that it, it's from having my children that gave me the strength to go out, to be a voice, to be, to be a witness for Christ, to, you know, whatever it is God is driving us to do, I find that people a lot of times think that if I have kids, it's going to stop my career. And it, yes, it's put on the shelf for a while, but there's so many opportunities that have come to me. So I'm, anyway, that's been my life. That's what I've found. I can, I sing better probably because I just am nurtured so well from my family. And I, I just enjoy what I do, I guess. And so that anyway, I just feel that there are so many blessings from having, having our children. Children. Okay. So tell about, okay. So you get into pageantry now, had you (laughs) ever thought in your life you would do this? No, no. I remember watching Charlene Wells win with my sisters and my mom. And I was, oh, probably seven. I don't remember, but I, no, I never thought I would ever do it. Um, I just, we had moved to Utah and my friend called me and said, this came in the mail for me. I think you should do it. And I was hesitant to tell Sam and, um, he, I, I told him and now why were you hesitant? Why were you hesitant? First of all, I just like, I didn't think that I was that kind of a person. Like, I don't know. I, I just, it wasn't something my mom would have done, you know? And later I found out that my mom was nominated as one of the Queens for the week or something at college, but I didn't know that. And so I, I just, it was just not something I thought I'd ever do, but Sam heard the voicemail and he said, Oh, I think you ought to do it. I think you could win. And so that first time I missed the top 10 by one. And then the second time I did it, I tripped in my swimsuit and said, oops, (laughs) but I, okay. Can we, can we talk about that, please? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're, are you walking up on stage? Are you on the stage? You're in your swimsuit and you trip. Do you fall down? I did not fall down. I just kind of like biffed, like skid or something like it just kind of bumped me a little bit, just a little bit, but I did say oops out loud. And then, um, but there was music going. So I don't know if they heard, but um, yeah, it was just, just on stage walking across in swimsuit. It was my turn. So yeah, it was, I had, um, I had tied for, I had tied an interview with a woman who had won Utah before, and she had won a national one. So that was the only reason why I did it the second time. Like I decided to go for it the second time. And then the second time I did it, I didn't win. I took second runner up, but I did tie for first in the interview. And that showed me actually that what I said mattered. So what (laughs) did you say? What did you say? My platform was on on it was first let's see it was footsteps to healing and it was about speaking out about sexual abuse and so protecting children from it and i talked i said you know sometimes you have to stand alone and sometimes you have to do the right thing even if you stand alone for a while or for a long time and that was i just remember seeing the judges faces and then leaving and this thought came to me, you are in the top 1%. And I, I was like, kind of shocked with that thought, but I just thought, I wonder if that's just me. And then I later found out that I had tied with first, I had tied first place in interview. So that was where I realized that what I had, what I thought and what I said was heard a lot of my life, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that I could say something and have it honored. I didn't feel like I could say something and have people agree with me or get it. And they did. And I had judges come up after and 
tell me you need to keep doing this. You need to, you need to try again. Anyway, I was just thankful for the, the journey, the experience I did take Mrs. Global America. I did win that one in Myrtle. So how long do you have to prepare for these things? Like how many months? It depends. Sometimes you find out there's a pageant and you can sign up, but usually they have a deadline. Um, I always said I was done. (laughs) I always said, I, this is it. I'm done. I'm not doing anymore because it takes so much like focus and away, you know, you're like focusing on that. And, but I know that when God gives us this drive, we're supposed to go with it, whatever it is. Um, like your podcasts or whatever we are driven to do. So anyway, my, my, what I saw was doors opened. I had a program called first aid for abuse that Sam and I created. Um, and it just like medical first aid is taught universally. First aid for abuse is something I would like to go universal. So medical first aid teaches the ABCs air breath compression and First aid for abuses, A, alert, B, boundaries, and C, counseling. And so this, they're simple steps, but why do the cycles continue? Because we don't alert. They're afraid to tell. They're told not to tell. And this goes to any form of abuse. B, boundaries. Boundaries are not kept. You tell a child, if you tell, we will keep you safe. And then we watch them get put back in the arms of the person that they told on. Like that is the most devastating thing I think I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, It's just so hard to see that. And then see counseling, they need to be able to have a professional, if it's a severe case, help them process so they can verbalize and resolve that conflict inside. Then they step out of that shell of the person they thought they were in that moment and they're themselves again. And then they see themselves as a hero if they're able to help and make a difference. And so that's why first aid for abuse is important to me. And anyway, I had this program and I went to different schools and and showed it to them. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't teach that here in our state. We can't talk about that. So once my friend arranged for me to be Mrs. Utah for Global America, I put that on my tools and I went to the schools and every single school said yes. Even the ones that had said no. No. Okay. So they had said no to you because you didn't have a title. Is that correct? That's what it looks like. That's what it appeared. But now that you had a title of global Mrs. Global, Mrs. Utah, global America, right. Mm -hmm. Then they allowed you to come and share your ABC. Yeah. First aid for abuse. Yeah. Yes. And so I then won the the national and it was a smaller system at that time, but it still opened a lot of doors. And so I just found that anyway, if I, if I felt prompted to do another pageant, I would. So I did do, um, one time my sister, she was Mrs. Mrs. Idaho and we, she needed, um, to go to Vegas. Anyway, she convinced me to go. They, the national director knew I took second runner up. So they asked if I would go as Puerto Rico because Mrs. Puerto Rico couldn't go. So anyway, my hair accidentally turned out a lot darker than normal. I was, I roomed with my sister and yeah. Now, how can, how's that Rico. possible? How can you be Miss Puerto Rico if you're from Utah? I know I, if they need a replacement, okay. then, then they take somebody they feel is qualified. Anyway, it was a fun, we laughed our heads off because people asked if I was, if she was my interpreter and um, (laughs) yeah, we had fun, but anyway, that's just kind of some of the, my journey. I just thought you have to push, push yourself. And sometimes it's like a fish out of water. You just feel very vulnerable, but it's the crash course into self-refinement and you learn to take care of yourself. You learn to speak, you learn to be respectful. And those are just qualities that, you know, you don't have to be a diva and, and expect to win. And because I've lost more times than most people have lost anything, but I think, you know, it just taught me, keep, you know, I didn't, 
of course it was a letdown when I've lost, but you just keep going. And so some of my titles came because somebody else couldn't go. So my USA title that I will be using when I compete in April at Mrs. Universe, the Mrs. USA was not well enough to go. So they, the owner and the, the main directors called, I guess didn't call me, but um, messaged me and asked if I would take the position. So that happened. And so anyway, in April, yeah. you're going to go compete in Mrs. Universe. Yes. For Mrs. Yes. Utah, right? No, for I, I will represent Mrs. USA. I, I will be Mrs. USA and I'm rep, um, I just still compete as Mrs. USA universe. Are you ready, Mrs. Heather? It's in yeah. April. <laughs> you know, it was supposed to be in, in November and then it was supposed to also be in February and they, because of COVID it's changed. So all my bags are packed and my gown is in my closet. So I am ready. I am ready. But, um, yeah, I was going to say Shannon King is the, is the one who won it on the stage and couldn't go. And then I had previously been Mrs. Universe North America and I crowned Emily by in September in Atlanta. And then anyway, this, this turn of event happened. I had a, an opportunity to be Central America and I put that in my sister's name because I knew two things. My sister, she was a good mother and loved her kids and stood by them when they spoke out about abuse. And my sister is, um, anyway, she's amazing. She may not be able to, to speak because of the conditions there and what what's going on there. But um, anyway, I knew that she told the truth. And so anyway, I had put that in her name. And, so how do you um, do that? How would you put her in Mrs. Central America? I would, it was supposed to be me, but when they offered the USA, I had to give that, to give that title up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So what about I your trip? She, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I knew she knew what domestic violence was like firsthand. And that's why I, that's just it. It had been put in her name for that reason. And if she ever decides to use it, she's able to, um, but have a anyway. voice. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So t let's talk about your, your trip to Switzerland. Okay. Geneva, Switzerland. Yes. Geneva, Switzerland. Yeah. I want you to tell me how did it transpire and what did you feel? Did, did Sam go with you? I went by myself. So I was introduced to the president of Operation Underground Railroad through my friend, Nicolene Peck, who was the president of um, the Worldwide Organization of Women. She is the one who had me speak on the panel at the New York um, United Nations. And so through, through Nicolene um, and through my friend who was the president of OUR, they, asked if I would go and rep be a representative at Geneva, Switzerland's United Nations. So I flew by myself um, and it was, it was such an amazing experience that I had to learn how to do like exchange money. I had to take like six buses, six, six buses in order to get to the UN because I, I was only a half an hour away, but they used that. That's their transport. That's their transportation. Okay, yeah, Heather, you know what I realized? There are some people listening right now that does not know what Operation Underground Railroad is. I know it okay. because I've been following it since, oh my word, years. I've been following it for years. But could you kind of share with our audience um, a little bit about what Operation Underground Railroad does? Sure. So OUR or Operation Underground Railroad is, is freeing the sex slaves it's the children and women, or even men, boys. Um, it's those who are being sold trafficked, as sex yeah. slaves, mm -hmm. trafficked. And I'm passionate about it my, because my mother was actually nearly abducted as a child. She was being she was put into a man's car at the park, and when she got home, her dad asked, or she told her dad, 
just, she had this weird feeling and she just said, somebody at the park kissed me, a man at the park kissed me. And her dad picked up the phone. My grandpa picked up the phone, called the police. And immediately they went over to the park and the man was sitting on the bench waiting for my mom. My mother testified in court against him because he had promised her if she went with him to his house, he would give her bride dolls and all these toys and dolls. Anyway, so my mother was, I, I'm lucky to be here, but because my grandpa knew what to do to report to the authorities to take care of the situation, um, I'm here, you know? And so I have, I'm just very passionate about it. My mother and I would walk through Walmart and see the, have you seen me missing signs? So I wrote a song called Missing and Lost um, that I performed for Prevent Child Abuse Utah and other events. But anyway, this sex trafficking is, is a big issue. Huge, um, huge. It, it is huge. And there's an investigation going on that I know about too, um, that I can't talk about, but, um, it's, it's just important that if you suspect somebody is doing it, that you report it. And, um, yeah, I, I go to the rallies with one of my, it's my second cousin. We go to some of the events at the Capitol here and just help support it because it's, we have our t-shirts and, um, I just think it's, it's scary for these people who have been through it. They need help. They need help to have um, support after. And the abduction recovery program is something that was introduced to me. And, and um, I have that song that's for that. Anyway, there's just been a lot of opportunities that I have with some of the songs I've written in that way. But anyway, when I went to Geneva, Switzerland, in open forum, they asked me to um, ask all of us if we had any questions. And my question was, what happened to the 99 missing African girls? And that was back then. Anyway, it opened up discussion and I was there for the human rights, children's rights conference. And it was in September, I think about four years ago, three or four years ago. But then I was able to travel around Europe with, with our team, with OUR. And that was neat. We went to Italy and um, France. We climbed Mount Blanc. It was, it was fun to do those things. But our main reason was to be there for the conference. And I met people from Pakistan and all over the world. And they would tell their stories about the, the assassinations and and trafficking. And it was, it was a very humbling and eye-opening experience. So I'm just thankful that I was able to be there. And yes, I was there by myself. Um, I stayed with a very safe lady. Her name, um, Lily is who I, I did it through Airbnb. And anyway, I checked things out beforehand so that I knew it was a gated community and, um, I felt very safe with her, but I had a great time. And how did it change you? How did it change your life? I had to, first of all, I had to go by myself and exchange, exchange money and learn to speak to these people with these different languages. A lot of people knew English, but, um, it changed me to see people in different cultures and, to understand that we are more alike than we are different. And it gave me the opportunity to empower other people that I was there leaving my family and coming to be a representative and for our nation and, and just to represent, you know, the need to protect women and children. And just going to these open forums and having the opportunity to sit in and, and listen was just an amazing opportunity. And most of it, most of it was just me listening and observing the things that they were, were presenting. Different countries would come forward and, and tell their plights that were going on in their countries. And it just showed me that we, 
we need to care and showing up sometimes just to listen and care and shake hands and and care about humanity around the world helps bless our own country and the people that we associate with here. I just think we just benefit each other by by stepping outside of our comfort zone and, and reaching beyond our borders. Totally. So when, when did you come home from that? What year did you go do that? Yes. I, I think it was 2016. Okay. I think I went in 2016 because 2015, I had been at, at the New York, Geneva, Switzerland, or sorry, United Nations. And then they sent me to Geneva the next, that next fall. It's just important to keep communities safe Safe and and children and women. Well, and I think that's the beautiful thing about your life, Heather, is you're passionate about women and children. You're passionate about children, just all young men, young men, boys, men. I mean, and I think that the blessings that have come to you from doing the pageant and going through what you've gone through, you are able to have a very strong voice for good and to fight for what's right. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I just feel like that's just probably something that I came to this earth with. Like there's just, I have a zero tolerance for seeing children hurt. I'm not okay with it. And seeing women hurt too. That is, I just, I can't, I just can't do it. I remember walking past a friend's home when I was a kid and I could hear his mother screaming. And I said, I said, it's your mom. Okay. And he said, oh, they're just playing in there. And I knew, I knew that she wasn't just playing in there. And anyway, I just, I can't stand it. I can't stand it when I hear children hurt or when I hear things like that. So Anyway, I just know we are supposed to be a voice. We are supposed to step forward. It may be scary. We may be threatened time and time again. We still have to do the right thing. We still have to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. When we know that we have to protect other people, we do. And that means you yourself. Like sometimes people are so afraid to speak up because of what will happen to them. Because people will hate them because it will end family relationships or at least stifle them. It's hard. Those things have happened to me. I get it. It's so hard, but it's harder to keep it a secret. It's harder to pretend that there is nothing wrong. It's harder to know children are being hurt because other people aren't seeing it. And it's okay to try to be respectful and not to humiliate or embarrass people. And I get that. And there are times that I know I have probably crossed that line, but when it comes to explosives, when it comes to child sexual abuse, when it comes to women who have been in domestic violence situations and they are scared to speak for themselves, it's important that somebody, somebody is their voice. Yes. Yeah. Say, you know, it's not okay. So what are you going to do? What's your, what's your next move? So if I win Mrs. Universe, which is a big long shot, but Hey, I'm, I'm just honored that I get to go. But my, my goal is to help bring the first aid for abuse program to be a universal um, versus universally taught programs so that orphanages and different languages learn this and schools and CE courses offer it just like they offer first aid for medical. I would like to see first aid for abuse being taught all over the world. Um, and that's, that's my goal. And I, you know, I am just, I just feel like sometimes our challenges in life bring us to get these I guess they call them downloads from God, our ideas that come to us. And so if I can do something to help humanity, like it would have helped me as a child, that's what I want to do. If I can help prevent these, these painful situations, I will. And I know that people will always get through, um, sneak through the cracks. And I know that these 
these things have existed forever, but I know that God is not okay with it. And he expects us to help make a difference. And if I do, if I can make a difference and help in some way where there is less abuse, like my goodness, I, I did what I came here to do. And anyway, I just know there are so many good people out there and so many yes, great programs. There and, are, you know, I, yeah, I'm just so blessed that I've had so many good role models in my life. And anyway, you're one of them. Oh, that, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Amazing. So when, before I end my podcast, I always ask my guests about how they seek light. So, I mean, you really, with all the work you're doing with your own family, with the world, with the United, I mean, with the state of Utah, you seek light all the time, but how do you personally seek light on a regular basis? Well, I, I know prayer helps reading my scriptures helps. And I love to just decompress and go to nature. I do a lot of things for self-help, like sit in my hot tub. And, um, last night I did a little foot spa with my daughter. She has, um, little Morby things for her foot spa. And so anyway, I just do things like that. I play with my kids. I read to them sometimes cleaning, singing. I just try to listen to what I'm feeling I need to do. And, um, and sometimes just seeking light comes from other people serving. Um, I'm helping with a, the Christmas box house. Some it's just reaching out and stepping out of our, you know, our little bubble to try to help in other other ways. I do a program called Cadence Closet where I had all these clothes that she never wore. So I end up, I just give them. And so we just gifted them to um, Chris, the Christmas box house. And so the mothers that are not able to be with their kids, whether it's because of court issues, they're able to dress their little babies in their dress, their blessing outfits or in these little dresses. So I just feel like it's important I guess here's another thing I need to do though. I feel like I need to empower other women to seek light, to know that they can say they lost their kids. They can get those back. You know, there are so many ways people manipulate the system, but you be true to you and you will come out on top. And, um, but anyway, back to what you asked, seeking light. I just think we have to honor our dreams, honor that we are loved no matter what has happened to us, no matter where we've been, we are important and valuable. And then if we can listen and open up enough to accept that we are loved, then we can, the longer we're able to be loved and love other people, then that's when we heal and help heal the world or our little world. Yeah. Heather, thank you. Thank you for taking the time today. And thank you for all that you're doing for um, humanity. Oh, thank you so much, Beth. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.